If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 140 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. And if you love the conversations and insight, consider becoming a health amplifier. You can support the show for as little as the price of a cup of coffee by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Your support is more helpful than you can imagine. So this is the last of my 2023 series on baby and maternal care. There were a few guests and subjects that I didn't get to and uh, hopefully we'll bring to you in, in upcoming seasons. But I got most of what I wanted to include. And one of my favorite parts about doing this series has been doing some deep diving with people I collaborate with in a way that we don't often get to talk in, in our busy work days. And I feel like I've learned even more about why I like working with these folks. Denise McDonald, my guest for today's show, is an IBCLC lactation specialist practicing in Brooklyn, New York. We've collaborated for close to a decade now, uh, working in coordination to help some of Brooklyn's youngest residents and parents with their feeding challenges. I had no idea before getting into this work the wide array of difficulty that a new family might face when a baby is having uh, difficulty with the most basic of functions like sucking, swallowing, breathing, or digesting. I also had no idea of the amazing resource support lactation consultants could provide, and hopefully this conversation will help you understand better their unique form of care. Denise and I start out here talking about education and certification requirements for this kind of work, and then get into the kinds of support that she offers, and when it's appropriate to bring in a manual therapist like myself uh, as part of the Village of Support. Please enjoy my conversation with Denise McDonald. I was going back through our, like trying to think about when I first met you and I, and I was realizing like, I sort of, I sort of remember you actually as a neighborhood person before, uh, um, meeting you and like for, for some reason, I, I used to see you at Nadra's all the time. That's true. I used to go up That's there and, and work in the morning. Like I would, I would drop, I would drop Phoenix off and then go, uh -huh. go to Nadra's. And I, I remember seeing you once in a while there. And then we both had kids in the hospital at the same time. And, and that's where I, you know, it was like connected that. And then I think, I think the next time was when I did the talk at, um, I don't know, was it Methodist or something? It was a bunch yeah, of, yeah. right? And, and, and I, yeah. talk, I, th I talked to you after that. And that was kind of the beginning of our, I feel like maybe our professional relationship. I think so, um, because then I knew you 
probably that's like I was trying to remember as well. And what I recall was, of course, the first time you and I had a session together for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my body yeah. was that odd episode where I had been training for a half marathon. I, I went to sit on a bench and couldn't get up. That's right. Um, that's right. I remember I that to too. See you. <laughs> and so, yeah, by then I was already in IBCLC yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so, that's kind of funny. So when did you start as an IBCLC? I started twenty. Yeah, I certified in twenty fourteen. Okay. Um, and by the time you find out, you know that you've actually certified, it's like the end of the year, twenty fourteen. Even right. though you take the exam in the spring, um, and so I really didn't start really my practice until twenty fifteen. But I've been certified since twenty fourteen. Gotcha. So, yeah. but but you were you were practicing before that then, obviously, because that, that I was practicing before then. Yeah, I mean, as as a student. Um, You have a mentor until you get your, you know, results in. um, And through that mentorship, you already start your clinical hours. So you start support groups, you do some one-on-ones. I had the, you know, luxury of also doing an internship in a hospital, which not all, um, you know, uh, students get to do. Um, So that was great. Yeah, I was like doing prenatals in the the hospital, also doing one-on-one postnatal. So, yeah, I was kind of already just waiting to be able to sign, you know, put up my own sign. Right. (laughs) So that, because that conference I did was, was in 2013. I know only because it was right before I moved to Minneapolis. So, so you were still, you you were probably at the hospital at that point or something still. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the mentorship was, you know, yeah, kind of joining meetings like that, like, you know, what's going on in the field. Um, Because that's what it is. It's just constantly trying to keep up with how best you can serve your uh, families. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, before, I think probably I, I started working with babies in 2006. So after that, I was getting invited to the Leche League, me, you know, meetings and trying to explain body work to new, new, you know, breastfeeding mothers. And it was yeah. a whole new world for me at that point. I had no idea like how, you know, vast that network was in Brooklyn. Yeah. And yeah, that's all it takes is one or two people to know you and know your work. And all of a sudden, <laughs> <That's exactly laughs> you're getting emails too. and calls. And <laughs> so yeah. what's the, what's, I, I, I've, I know I've heard a little bit about what the certification process is like for an IBCLC. And I gather that it's quite comprehensive and intense because I've treated a lot of people for stress during their studies. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know it's, it's very arduous. Yeah, I mean, there there are three pathways um, because you can already be in the field, in the medical field, whether it's as a nutritionist, as an RN, as an MD, as a PT, as an OT, like you can Mm. come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, And so that tends to be the people who would possibly be on the pathway two. Pathway two, I think, is the one that they call that. And that, you know, as long as you have, and the reason that they have three layers is like, if you do have some medical, you know, background, like you've had already the studies of biology, human development, like all of those courses that you would take, yeah. then there's no need for you to do the same pathway as someone who has them. So yeah. that's why they have these three different pathways. And then clinical hours, again, depending on how often you're in that, you know, environment, you probably need more <laughs> clinical right. hours than the MD or the PT or the uh, nutritionist. Um, so, yeah, so I... I 
landed on pathway three um, because I had no, you know, background in the field of medicine. Okay. Um, I was a network engineering person. So I know. <laughs> no medical background. So it was great, though. I mean, it was, you know, I was in my 30s when I decided to enter this field. And um, you're kind of always, at least I am, um, I'm always wanting to learn something new. So, um, yeah, learning something new in your 30s and, you know, the science side of things always is an interest for me um so yeah it's kind of fun to say all right this is this is a field i'm interested in and and something i can transition to even though i meant going back to school and taking i did the same i did the, yeah what, what, what yeah how, how did how did engineering um prepare you for medicine did did, did you see correlations at all absolutely troubleshooting yeah I was constantly troubleshooting, yeah. troubleshooting problems that would suddenly come up. Everything was working fine. And all of a sudden, the problem would come up and we'd yeah. have to investigate where did it go wrong? Why did it go wrong? And how do we fix this so that it yeah. doesn't happen again? <laughs> and and <laughs> systems, systems yeah. understanding, right? Sort of understanding yeah. how, to, how yeah. they all work. Because I've just noticed for somebody who didn't have a background in medicine, you have a good sense of like when we when we have conversations we speak the same language, which is which is difficult sometimes with certain people. Like I've had some people who I've been much more aligned with, especially if they had like a PT background or something that, or an OT background. I, or I find that's a little easier, you know, for, for a lot of people to, to be able to speak about these different systems that could be getting off yeah. track. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it, the, the courses itself, you know, were very helpful. I mean, one of them was even nutrition, you know, um, which, again, you know, fascinating to hear all about the nutrition side of things. But it is something that you need because, yeah, it, it helps with production, milk production, yeah. um, most of the time if your nutrition is um, lacking in certain areas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was all very cool to kind of go back to school in your 30s <laughs> and you know you're you're a little bit more focused <laughs> that's true you're an adult like that. that's true <laughs> so you really are like oh invested in this new and, and um, what's the testing path. process then is there are there are there specific things that you have to pass to to get the certification yeah yeah so you know one of the first things besides all the college courses that you need to take um which you know are very important um, once you are practicing, just so you can have some background in medical terminology and all that kind of stuff. Um, you also take, you know, a a bunch of courses which is just relating to lactation, um, and so you take all of those courses. And then finally, when you're having all of those things in place, you then sit for the exam, and the exam is like a four-hour, I don't know, three-hour, depending on how you take it. Yeah. <laughs> exam that is only given like twice a year and now twice a year it used to be just once a year but now like you know multiple times a year um and then you wait on the those results um for like i said still that part is still true when you wait a few months before you find out um but the the exam is really intensive and it's a lot of different areas it's not just about lactation either it's about the ethics side of mm -hmm. things right um the uh, HIPAA compliance side of things, the, you know, 
um, the health security side of things. Like it's not just the, the exam is not just about breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different um, areas. There's like 12 actually different areas um, that you're being tested for um, in that one exam. Yeah. It's pretty intense. It's it's been very much um, compared to what um, those who you know take the exam for registered nurse or you know need any of those you know, medical fields like uh, registered uh, dietitians and that sort of thing. Like they're like, yeah, those who have done that and then had to do also the IBCLC exam, they have a good comparison of that. Um, So yeah. Yeah. Was it, was there, did you have an idea like of, of a specific, you know, type of work you wanted to do going in or was it pretty general and you were, you were pretty open still? Um, going in, I did know already that I wanted to do um, consultations. Like uh, I wasn't um, just wanting to do educational side of things, okay. which is very yeah. much in the prenatal side of things or even support side of things. I really wanted to do more clinical one-on-one um, support. So, yeah, I kind of knew that, you know, going in and that was my interest for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it helped. It helped. I mean, the exposure you get through mentorship and that was that was the purpose of the mentorship is actually to try to help you not just shadow them, but also expose you to how you can use your IVCLC certification. Mm-hmm. So that was really helpful as well. It's like giving you a taste of medicine of, you know, these different ways of sharing your knowledge once yeah. you have your certification. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I chose pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I got involved a little bit with some uh, some of the education side of of it. You know, doing some being invited to some workshops as like another resource provider, so people understood what I did. But I was more geared like you. I I like one on one work, and I like you know really t- really fo- honing in and focusing in on on what this one challenge is that's going on, and seeing if either me or somebody in my team can solve this problem. And so I, I like that, but then there's a part of me that also likes the education side. So then we have a podcast. So yeah. uh, apparently <laughs> you, you get to be part of it now too. Yay! So 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 what do people tend to contact you for, for in terms of in the support that they need? Yeah, I mean it all depends on on which uh, part of the journey they're in with regards to breastfeeding. You know, if it's prenatal, you know, and they're wondering how best to prepare for it. I, I mean, it, I love those kinds of reaching out because you do get to give that side, the educational side of things. Yeah. Like, this is, you know, be prepared, you know, a little bit better prepared. What, what, what uh, percentage what do you feel like is, is that that part? Not enough, not yeah, enough. I yeah. feel like I get it more now. Um, and I, and I, it's, you know, because I've been um, doing this now for nine years, I have had repeat uh, families and so if they did have a tough journey the first time around, second time around, they definitely reach out to me yeah. prenatally. Like, yeah. let's set up a plan to <laughs> to be yeah. better. Um, so, yeah, the percentage of prenatals um, reaching out is small, partly, though, because some hospitals do have a breastfeeding, under, understanding breastfeeding, they call it, yeah. <laughs> courses, you know. And so there is that available. And I, I'm hoping that that's the reason why a lot of people aren't reaching out to IBCLCs is that they're finding it somewhere else. Um, but based on some of the things I see in practice, not so much. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if, if it's just the very few first days of 
um, their journey, then they're calling me because they're in pain, probably. Um, The latch isn't going really well and they're in pain or um, they're feeling like, uh, you know, their milk supply isn't really coming in. And um, most of that, that's where the misunderstanding kind of comes into play sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's just like um, if if they weren't prepared to see that the, the volume is a lot smaller in the first couple of days, but right. then all of a sudden does grow substantially yeah. with just a little bit more stimulation. Um, so if, if we can break that down for a second while we're on that topic, I feel like it's a huge yeah. one because it comes up a lot. And in, in, from what I've heard, what, what, what is that expectation in terms of, in terms of supply? How long does yeah. that take? How much does the baby need those first few days versus, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks? It's it's a great question, and it's so dependent on the the journey of even bringing in your baby. Um, so yeah. if it's highly um, involved, like uh, sometimes very much necessary when there's a C-section involved, you know, there oh, is yeah. going to be a delay yeah. on milk production coming in and preparing the families for that is really important. And it, and it is going to require some supplementing. So it's sort of like, you know, just preparing mentally, emotionally, all that things that this isn't that it's a failed system. It's just the system yeah. in place because of the outcome. Yeah. Um, and so, but, uh, you know, even just a mild medical intervention can also kind of delay milk production. But in that case, you know, it would just require some further stimulation and not be so worried that your baby is needing to be on demand feeding every and that's here's here's where I'm like, oh, don't say a number, Denise, every two hours. Or oh, I know, they, I know. They all get it's, very, you know, it's like, very broad. Too concerned on those numbers, and it's really just, you know, showing the signs, the signs of baby cues. And sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong, you know. And I kind of encourage moms that or just families in general um, that it's it's okay. It's it is a guessing game most of the time, you know, and most of the time uh, you'll it's a fifty percent chance that you get it right that it actually was a feed that the baby wanted a little bit more at the breast, yeah. and encouraging them that those are all good signs, good signs that the baby is coming to the breast demanding yeah. more because that's going to bring in their supply and it's going to feed babies. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's in terms of quantity, it's so different for each person as well. So it's like, again, giving a number of, Oh, you should expect, you know, 10 mLs on first day. And, and what if it doesn't? And now you have this stress of, I didn't get that number that the textbook says I should have. (laughs) So most of the time it's like, don't even focus on a number, you know, just, this is the activity to expect for the first couple of days yeah. and, and trusting, trusting your body to be able to give because it's, it's a system that's already in place. You've delivered the baby, you've delivered the placenta and next thing comes, which is milk production. Yeah. So just trusting, <laughs> trusting the process. And, and, and on, the, on, on the numbers front, this is another thing that I feel like happens a lot with, with, with percentages for weight or size where parents come to me in total distress about, well, my baby's only X percentile for their age Mm -hmm. or whatever. But, you know, if you have two smallish parents 
that we, mm -hmm. you know, percentile compared to two Nordic people, <laughs> it's going to be much smaller. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's exactly. you, you have to you have to sort of you know not get too caught up in the numbers. Is you know, and I think this maybe we can talk about this briefly, but I'm guessing that there are there are a lot of signs that having been around babies for a long time, as we both have, that you can kind of pick up on whether a baby is doing well or not doing well. And right. you know, the, some of the right. first things I look for is what's the baby's temperament and mood, right? Right, right. And you know, and prenatally, that's one of the things I go over. It's like, this is what we, in terms of numbers, there are some definites, right? We do want to see peas and poops right. <laughs> every right. day yeah. of their life, you know, and the numbers of how, where they start on day one versus day two, day three, you know, yeah. these are the expectations. And in the first week, that diaper really is a good way of knowing whether your baby is oh, yeah, for getting sure. enough or not. Um, so that that's always, a, a, I think, a reassurance for them is like seeing the diapers and the numbers per day increasing as they go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, temperament is definitely a key thing. Um, you know, yes, the baby will cry, but once they have been satiated with some, you know, nutrition, they actually do give you that little drunken smile. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and give you that burp and then give you that diaper, like I said they yeah. would. But, <laughs> but know, I, so. I imagine a lot of the a lot of the babies that end up being, you know, brought your way are also babies who are struggling to gain weight. So talk right. a little bit about what that process is and, and how you measure and make sure that they stay on a certain track. Yeah. Um, so usually, um, the, you know, the first time parents are hearing that there is a struggle is when they've gone to the two day or three day um, pediatrician yeah. uh, visit, if not the one week. It's rarely that it goes all the way to the one week before something is detected. It's detected earlier, thankfully. Um, so, yeah, they'll come they'll come to me and then we'll do a weighted, you know, Feed, which usually lets us know, well, wh where should our focus be? Is it baby or is it mom? You know, mm. is it supply or is it the suck? Is yeah. it this? Is it that? Yeah. Um, and start that journey of troubleshooting and assessing um, and then putting in place what is needed. Um, if it is supply, all right, we're going to do a little bit more stimulation, a little bit more pumping and seeing if we can get your supply going a little better. Um, and in the meantime, if needed, you know, we're going to start using some supplements um, and hopefully um, hospitals are actually doing a little better at that as well, because there have been um, instances where people are leaving the hospital with some with a prescription for uh, donor milk. So um, mm. that's been really that's been really great. But if that isn't available, then, you know, yeah, absolutely. The formula is going to be in the picture um, until we get that supply up. Um, or if supply is not the issue at all, and it's baby who needs a helping hand in their spouse, evaluating why that is, yeah. um, and and then putting a plan in place for that, and that can be quite involved and sometimes not so involved, and it's just you know a little helping hand of how we're holding them at the breast or how they're you know latching at the breast or any of those things, and all of a sudden everything is clicking just fine. And sometimes it is something a little bit more serious where there's a restriction underneath the tongue or the lip that's causing the baby to just not be able to support that right. weight of the breast and the tongue in place and, you know, being able to massage the breast accordingly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, and I just did, for, for anyone who's interested, if, if this is your first episode in this series, listening, you can go back. I just did an episode with Dr. Krista Geisler, who is who I work with here in Minneapolis, 
who does the releases. And so she has, a, she has a whole thing on her website of all the signs that there may be some lip, tongue, or cheek tie restrictions. And so that's another, another resource that we have out there for people. Um, right, because sometimes it's not caught in the first week. Sometimes mom's supply is doing so fabulous. Yeah. Um, and ba- baby is just good enough. We, I, I actually use a grading system just to be able to explain to parents where we are in the, in the yeah, that's assessment evaluation. <laughs> so, you know, I might say, oh, this is kind of a, a C, you know, C plus sucker. <laughs> we need yeah. to get them to be at least a B plus sucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be A. <laughs> Which for type so, A parents uh, might be a little... <laughs> I know. They're like, what? what? I think we can get to be an A. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, all right, then we'll go there. But all we really need is a B. So, yeah, I mean, and and the ones that that don't get caught in that first week because it isn't severe enough, um, that's the baby that I wind up seeing around the eight-week mark. Where, you know, everything had been going really swell um, because baby's gaining weight and, you know, milk production seems to be meeting the demand. Um, but then all of a sudden at eight weeks, we were hearing a lot of fussiness and a lot of popping off. And um, all of a sudden at the two months, you know, checkup, the percentile went down and no one understands why. And um, so, yeah, evaluating that. And, and sometimes that, that will be because there was a restriction that just wasn't evaluated early on because, yeah there seem to have been no problems and now it's being caught. Um, so, and, yep. <laughs> and, and what, what about, what about oversupply in, in terms of like, what is, what does that look like for, with, with a baby and, and what are the challenges there for, for the mom and the baby? Oh, I know. It's so sad. It's one of those, you know, catch 22s. We don't want a low supply, but we definitely don't want an oversupply. Yeah. It is really quite painful um, and uncomfortable and overwhelming. Like the, the emotional side of it is just really overwhelming. Um, observed. <laughs> and that's just me being an observationist. Of yeah. this. It's just like I can just see it in their eyes and their tension, yeah. their body tension. Um, yeah. I mean, overproduction can happen either for medical reason or just you know, your body just went overdrive right after yeah. delivery. Yeah. And we just have to let it know that there's just one baby here. <laughs> yeah. There's not two. Um, and so, yeah, it can be overwhelming for a baby, for sure. Um, it's just it's, it's just learning this new system called Suck, Swallow, Breathe. Right, <laughs> and, right. And there's this huge volume coming at it. Um, and it's trying to manage that. Um, so, so what, what, yeah, what, what are the strategies for, for managing it? Um, right now, we, we have a wonderful new protocol um, in place uh, that started in 2022 for for overproduction, and that is ice. <laughs> we're, uh-huh. we're icing the breath a lot. The the majority of the time of the overproduction is also inflammation that's causing you to feel this overproduction. Sometimes it's not overproduction, okay. basically, is what I'm saying. Although the volume is coming out in full force, um, in the very initial state of it, um, it's you wind up realizing that it's more about um, inflammation that has occurred. You know, part of the delivery, you, when you leave the hospital, you actually do have some inflammation throughout your body. You tend to see it most in your hands and feet. Yes. But if you have it in your hands and feet, it's actually throughout it's your entire body. Yeah. Um, so, so 
there is a, a bit of is it is it oversupply or is it really just this engorgement that's kind of stuck around for another week um, where we didn't anticipate it to be? And so we assess that as well. But if it is true overproduction, bringing it down just means less milk removal and actually putting some ice on the breast to encourage or discourage milk from moving forward yeah. in full force and then just allowing the blood circulation to kind of calm down because it's that blood circulation that's just pushing it forward. So icing the breast just kind of tells it to chill, to calm mm. down. Don't bring forward so much at this time. I don't need it so much. Um, so that's it, it, it really is the amount of milk that you're removing is what the body is. That's the data you're setting sending the body. So in overproduction, what sometimes winds up happening um, before they reach someone uh, for help is that they feel this this relief of removing the milk, but they've removed so much milk that the body went, oh, okay, I'll replace that then. By by (laughs) pumping or by by feeding or both? By pumping. Most of the time, you know, the baby can't handle all the milk if it is oversupply of what's available there. So then all of a sudden mom feels this comfort of just removing the milk. And so that there starts the cycle, because if you continue to do that at every feed, then you've created, you know, this demand of, yes, keep this demand going, keep this volume going. Um, it is, it is, it's a very, it's one of those that I, when I do have an oversupply case, um, I'm going to be very hands-on and hands-on meaning um, we're going to keep in touch. I'm going to hear from you every day. Um, so okay. we're going to put a plan in place and milk removal is going to go like this and whatever this means, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's where you're going to bring the baby to the breast and maybe remove a little bit with pump just for a little comfort, but then putting ice after. And we're going to see how it goes with this kind of plan for like 12 hours. And you're going to report to back to me, like, how did that feel? How does it look? All of that stuff. Um, and each day that goes by, I want to hear, What's the, what's the status? What's the update? Because I have an expectation, right? The expectation is you're going to be feeling better after 24, 36 hours. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then we need to reevaluate. Okay, gotcha. So it's one of those, it's one of those cases that you really can't just wait a few days to hear back from a mom. You really yeah. want to stay on top of that yeah. one because um, it can turn into mastitis or from there, even an abscess. And that's one of those things that you want to avoid. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. so let's, let, let's, the, you're leading us right to the next topic that I want to cover. So <laughs> um, I, I have, I have some personal experience with mastitis because my, as when we were in the hospital with my daughter, she had meningitis and we spent a month in the hospital, as you know. And so my wife got like day two, my wife got mastitis. So, you know, uh, we're, we're in the, in the middle of, of chaos. And then, and then I'm at, and in the emergency room with my wife, cause she's, you know, has feverish chills, you know, and, and I know just from working with babies at that point that she has mastitis. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, how do we, how do we manage this? We got to get her out of the hospital too. Um, so so that's you know I, I think people it's it's one of those it's one of those surprise things for people who might be even you know doing pretty well with nursing like you're saying they might have good supply happening things things are going well and then all of a sudden the, the mastitis happens so explain a little bit about what mastitis is what it looks like and and how you how you treat it and how, how you breastfeed through it yeah I mean mastitis most of the time is um, milk stasis like milk just was left in the breast past the time that it's used to 
it being removed. Because especially in your wife's case, there was probably already a rhythm, a routine. Right, right. So we were in day 12. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, that routine stopped. And the body was like, well, well, I'm in milk making mode. I'm just going to keep making it and delivering it to these, you know, lovely sacks that were available before. Um, So milk continues to come forward and come forward. and And if you don't start removing it, that's when all of a sudden inflammation occurs because there's only so much we can hold in those sacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the, the chills all of a sudden. It's the red flags, all the red flags that the body sends to, you know, the body, the, yeah. the brain sends to the body saying, there is uh, something wrong here. <laughs> we, we need a fix. And, you know, fever is one of those things that starts to happen. Interestingly enough, even though you do get fever, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a true infectious uh you know, mastitis where antibiotics is needed. Okay. Um, most of the time what we're seeing is, and this is, you know, part of the new protocol that came out in 2022, um, where if you just ice uh, for a good 20, 30 minutes after feeding um, and it, it just goes away <laughs> yeah. after 24 hours, wherever the mastitis occurred on that, on that breast, whether it was just single breasts or both breasts at the same time. Um, but the, the cause of it tends to be milk removal didn't go well. Yeah. Um, there was an interruption that happened. And sometimes that happens um, because babies uh, went a little longer of yeah. sleep. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden the baby that was going just three hours gave the mom five hours, which was lovely, <laughs> but mom woke up so engorged and full and baby took from one breast, but then didn't take from the other. Right. Yeah. And now that breast had to wait yet another three hours possibly. Um, and that would cause the same condition of, well, milk removal didn't happen, but milk delivery kept happening. Um, so yeah. now there's inflammation and possible, you know, gearing towards a plug duct or uh, an infection, which is the mastitis symptoms. But these days, the way it's being, you know, um, uh, treated is just mainly don't do much except rest. It's sort of like you have a cold rest, stay in bed, breastfeed, ice, and be done. And can you, can you, <laughs> uh, whereas before, before the protocol was a bit involved, actually. I mean, and, and it was a protocol that was in place even from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Um, so the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is the one that came out with the new protocol 2022. Um, but previously it was, and it's still on the internet, and we're hoping that the internet catches up with the new protocol. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, uh, heat on the area that doesn't feel very yeah. well because that, that supposedly was going to increase, you know, blood circulation to that area and move milk forward. But what does heat also do to, to already an inflamed more, space? More, infla- inflammation. more inflammation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so we've learned that now. Um, and it used to be that it, it was encouraged to do some massaging in that area to the point that, you know, even vibrators were, were now on the market just for relieving that kind of huh plugged up or inflammation. Um, but what did that do? That caused a lot of trauma to the breast, bruising in fact, yep, um, yep. which was more inflammation. It was just sort of like exactly. going in the wrong direction. And so, so what, what about pumping? Was, was, wasn't pumping part of the protocol? Oh what, my what, goodness. Then there was, yes. Good job remembering that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one that I, yeah. Like I said before, remember this mom who felt the 
comfort from pumping. And now all of a sudden we're telling her, no, 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 that's not, <laughs> that's not the area we want to go in. Yeah, the more you're pumping that area that's already inflamed, you're just trying to push something through a tunnel that is just completely blocked. Yeah. You know, it's like you're just asking more milk to come through this really narrowed space that has nowhere to go. So now you're exasperating it instead. And and, and, uh, and that's the thing. It's like moms would even report, I'm pumping and pumping and nothing is really coming forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were already reporting this on their own that this wasn't helping. Yeah. Um, but that was the protocol. And, and were, were they confused about the baby getting some infection infected milk with because I feel like they were also kind of there were there were there was some kind of questioning about whether or not baby should be feeding with a you know a, a breast that's that that has mastitis I think that in terms of that um, there's no protocol that ever uh, asked to not breastfeed from okay. that. But okay. some parents would feel concerned, you know, yeah. you know, is, is the milk okay if there is mastitis because the word mastitis mean, meaning infection, you know, they would be concerned. Yeah. Um, but we would reassure them that, yeah, there's no infection to the milk itself. It's the tissue um, and the area of the breast that's infected. And, so. and, and knowing the way that nature tends to work, my guess is that there's probably something in baby saliva that actually helps to heal the breasts. Is that, is that true? Um, there is communication always happening between um, baby and mom. Yeah. And so the kisses that we give the babies, right, we're sharing some of that um, mm-hmm. immunity with them. But um, yeah, baby's mouth is also sharing immunity with us so that we can then right. make whatever milk is needed at that time if they're running um, through some flu or some bug of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah constant communication happening there. And, and I've even heard that, like, especially in those early, like, first three weeks, that it's very rare for mom or baby to actually get a cold that, so so that if there's mastitis happening in that early stage, that it's it's sort of clear that it's probably mastitis and not a, not something else, right? And and, and probably right. some, of, some of that is this shared immunity that happens. And obviously there are there are there are reasons why that might not be true. Maybe the you know baby right. baby and mom got separated, or you know C sections can you know allow for all sorts of infections and things to happen. But most of the time, you know, in a in a, in a natural childbirth, that that process should actually keep them both well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No. The, the antibodies that are being developed have already like by the time mom has shown any symptoms of a cold, yeah. she has already built some immunity to yeah. it and in her milk is that immunity as well. So yeah. it's really great. Yeah. So baby is already getting the benefits of fighting whatever bug mom has already started right. fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's really great. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's talk about uh, a subject that I know something about, which is body body work. And I'm I'm always curious to know. I, I just got somebody led to me from a place in in Minnesota that's like an hour away, and I came up on a list. And I'm and I'm always I'm always surprised that anyone even knows to refer to a craniosacral therapist for anything in particular. This this woman who brought the baby to me happened to be a PT as well, so she was just really comfortable with with what it was, but. What are the things that that sort of uh, what what are the, the the signs that you see with a baby that you think mm, I think maybe some sort of body work would actually be the most appropriate form of support here? Yeah, I mean, you know, things like um, even in in pregnancy, right, where the baby um, was kind of stuck in a particular spot for yeah, quite yeah. some time before it came to 
to life um, or outside of the womb, then yeah, most of the time we see a lot of tension in those babies because they were stuck in a particular spot and now they can't really get unkinked (laughs) outside of the womb. And so, you know, they'll have a preference to one side or the other, um, which actually then affects breastfeeding because all of a sudden they're doing so much better on one side. But then as soon as I switch to the other breast, they just don't want to latch. And most of the time that's that's a red flag of, yeah, there's something going on with stiffness, joints, uh, not joints, but, you know, shoulders, neck, um, um, tightness that's happening, yeah. jaw most of the time, yeah, jaw. Um, yeah, so that that's definitely one of the reasons that we'll see it. Um, and um, we'll see, it, especially with any tongue and lip restrictions, they're just tight, they're compensating, you know, already trying to keep that like I said, the weight of the breast in their mouth and, you know, cupping their tongue against this, you know, nipple and trying not to lose it. Um, But every time that restriction kind of pulls at their tongue, they lose it and they get all upset. Um, But they're working so hard. Um, It's kind of funny. Um, One of the things that we always hear from moms is, oh, I think my baby is just lazy. Um, just mm. sleepy, lazy, those kinds of, yeah. but actually it's just that they've worked so hard in that short amount of time they were at the breast with this restriction that, yeah, they kind of fell asleep on the job because they just couldn't help it. Yeah. You know, they were just, you know, trying so hard. Um, so that starts to creep up on them and, and there, there's a lot of tension there. Um, and we know the more that we help them release some of that tension, all of a sudden we can see that tongue move a little better. And that lets us know how really, how really tight is this restriction? Um, cause sometimes it looks really bad. And then after some craniosacral therapy work, we were like, Oh, look at that. It has more function now. Right. It has some elasticity. Let's give it a, another, you know, a week or so now that we have full, you know, a better function of the tongue, then we'll do some suck exercises, see how much further we can go with it. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think, you know, Social media, <laughs> the internet, <laughs> yeah. has really helped in that area, you know, to share that knowledge. Um, because one mom will have this experience with the baby and, you know, they want to let everyone know, this is what helped me. This is what got my baby through. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's definitely a good way of spreading some of that. Um, yeah, in the, in the early stages of, of the internet, might, you know, I, somewhere in the, in the you know, after, shortly after I started working with babies, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, I actually, I, I did a lot of work very quickly because I got found out about and was almost overwhelmed with babies because I ended up on a Park Slope parents um, group or, or something <laughs> as the yeah. baby, baby whisperer of Brooklyn, which yeah. you know, I, I would have never guessed that would be my title at some point. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, I, I think part of it was that I, I think very generally when it comes to treating babies, I, I, I do want to help, you know, the, the structural functional things that are going on. But also I think that people don't, don't realize how difficult birth is for a baby. Uh, and just the whole process of, like you were saying, you know, suck, swallow, breathe, and getting getting used to this, the, you know, the work <laughs> that it takes to be alive, right? And right. so, you know, that can be really stressful. And if they've had a difficult delivery or they, you know, a C-section or a really fast birth or a really long birth, those things can all start to affect, you know, the way the, the baby's doing. And, and so I kind of think a little bit more along the lines of, balancing their autonomic nervous system that they might be just in kind of fight or flight and they're having they're having trouble calming down enough to actually focus on the job at hand which is you know we see the same thing with adults and i think my adult work kind of informed my work with babies in that respect 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, the nervous system, because that's part of it as well. It's just the baby can't calm enough um, because the journey was such a journey yeah. <laughs> to get through. Um, that now it's needing to learn this sex follow breathe and it's like doesn't know where to begin, how to coordinate any of that. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's the nervous system itself that's just a little on overdrive and needs a little helping hand to get, kind of come back into some <laughs> medium yeah. <laughs> line of place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes it is in structure. It's the nervous system that's just kind of overrun. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it, it is hard sometimes to know exactly what's going on with, you know, there are some tongue, tongue and lip ties that are really obvious, but sometimes mm -hmm. they're borderline, they're feeding fairly well, mm -hmm. but they're just, they, like you're saying, like they get really tired from feeds. You can kind of see it in their jaw. You can see it in the, mm -hmm. just the way that they're sort of operating. And in those cases, I think sometimes, you know, they can build up some tension around the neck and jaw area as part of a way to, because the tongue should really be doing the work, right? I mean, the tongue is the, right. the big mover. Um, but, right. if, but if it's not, then everything else starts to get involved. Their hands are completely useless at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, sometimes I just find that, and, and the, the way that I try to explain it to people too, is that, you know, they, they're in the, mid, in the middle of a neurological growth process, right? Their, their body is trying to kind of, um, branch out and find all these different ways to make this thing work for them. But they might have gotten stuck in a dominant pattern that's actually sort of taking them out of their ability to say, you know, nurse on both sides of the, you know, both breasts, because their head is sort of a little bit tilted in one way. And when they try to tilt the other way, the tongue doesn't quite reach enough. And that's really, you know, difficult. So I just find that sometimes just getting a little release with the neck and then allowing for a growth spurt to happen. Like every three or four days, the baby's gonna go through a, a big neurological you know, shift by branching out more by growth itself. So I feel like my role in some ways is, is to be as gentle as possible, to be as minimal as possible in, in the process. And sometimes it is just about getting that nervous system to sort of release, which will free up the whole system to, to grow again, right? You know, it's like, it's, and it's yeah, also, it's, it's giving back energy to the system because when we're in that fight or flight, we're actually depleted, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, even with each growth spurt that goes by, sometimes it is an overwhelming process. Yeah. Just the, the simple fact of growth. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be something of a milestone. It could just be growth alone yeah. um, that can be, kind of upsetting um the nervous system or digestion um where all of a sudden it's yeah the, they're a little more gassiness yeah let's talk about that that's that, that's a that's a big <laughs> one like what i i try to give i try to give parents you know they may have been working with a lactation consultant so they know a lot of this stuff but i i feel like timelines are are very helpful for parents to hear to know that like oh my baby was was so good and so easy and slept through the night and <clears throat> whatever for the first week or two and then week three it's like a totally different baby you know and and there's a reason for that so can you explain <laughs> yeah i mean oftentimes you know we, we go back to the size the baby's tummy size right how much it was able to take in in the early days which wasn't a huge amount but all of a sudden at two weeks it's demanding something like you know 75 mls 90 mls which is so much more yeah. um, than they had in, in the first week or day three right. <laughs> day four um, and now they're trying to, in a very immature gut system, trying to, you know, actually Process. digest all yeah. of this food that's being sent down the pipe. Um, so, yeah, they, they 
sometimes have a difficult time with suck, swallow, breathe as well, which will exasperate some of that. And, and, um, and the byproduct that, that I think people forget about is the byproduct is gas, right? It's, it's, it's NO2. True. And so- It's not a terrible thing, actually, right. you know, for them to have to need to fart and, and burp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all do that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, where we, there is concern is when- weight gain isn't going very well. Um, there is a concern if gassiness is causing trouble for this baby to um, take in the volume that they need to. Right. Um, and so there's back pressure on the system. Exactly. Exactly. And oftentimes, you know, body work, whether it's craniosacral therapy or even just a little um, chiropractor work, because it's alignment sometimes. Sometimes right. there is a kink in the system and um, just working out that kink all of a sudden helps that baby with digestion. Yeah. And now all of a sudden processing any of that gas is not such a difficulty. And now I can take in a little bit more volume at each feed and so on. Like it's just a catch 22 that goes in the right yeah. direction. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really um, big concern of, of everyone. And they want to know how they can eliminate baby taking in gas. And it's like, well, no, your baby isn't taking in any air or <laughs> well, right. maybe they are, but not it, to it that can point happen, where, obviously. You think, <laughs> where you think it's this volume of gases or, or air that's seeping in. It's like, no, most of the time it's just that suck, swallow, breathe with rhythm or the tummy just isn't able to take in that volume at yeah. this time. And so now we need to break it up into maybe more frequent, smaller, you know, um, feeds until that baby can. And, and um, tummy time is, isn't, better. isn't that something that people sometimes are not doing enough of, which leads to these things? Cause, cause they can use that pressure on their bellies, whether it's, you know, I, and I'm sure you ex- explain the same thing, but tummy time can be on the, on the parent, or it can just be on the floor and it might be for, you know, a minute. I mean, you know, at first they, they might not be able to be down there for very long. I find, you know, somewhere around a month or so they can start spending a little bit more time and you still have to be there pretty, pretty close to them. They want us, they want your, you know, your presence, I think, but they, they can start to use the floor or, uh, you know, or you as, as a, as a way to kind of move that gas too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and they'll see it, you know, often in the office where right after a feed, um, you know, I'll, I'll always, encourage them to just hold the baby up for 10 minutes at least before doing anything, before changing a diaper, before any of those things happen. Just keep that baby upright over your shoulder or against your chest um, until until about a 10 minute time. I mean, it really does help. Um, Are there there any new protocols on burping? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. I refer to the internet. My goodness. There's so many ways of burping a baby. I know. I, I've, I've seen knew? everything. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it, there, there's no trick up my sleeve. And, and it's so sweet when a baby just burps right after I give it a little tap. Then parents are like, right. how did you do that? I'm like, it's oh, gravity. It was chance. It was chance. <laughs> the air <laughs> you, should you, rise, you right? Eventually. Yeah, you handed me your baby, and uh, that little shift in movement That's did it. the job. And really, <laughs> there's no trick up my sleeve on burping. That yeah, I mean, we can try all of those tricks yeah. on the internet, and, and they're some of them are cute, some of them are quite involved. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if the baby's going to give you a burp, they're going to give you a burp. 
<laughs> and and just and just pay that. attention to what I think to to what they seem to you know enjoy. Some babies like a little firmer tapping. Some babies just like a little you know light massaging on the back, and that's enough to do it. So you just have to kind of I think be mindful of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, if, if I'm really seeing, you know, some colic behavior from a baby, you know, that indigestion is really a little bit more than I expect. Um, I'll hold them in that, uh, the true colic hold as they have, you know, every hold has a name, <laughs> everything has a, has a label, yeah. but there is a colic hold, you know, where you just put the baby over your arm, um, like this and, yeah. and their tummy down, yeah. you know? And so that's what it is. It's just like that tummy down slight pressure on yeah. your arm. Um, but their head is above their butt. Um, and it's just like a really comforting position for them. Yeah. Um, tapping them on the back while they're in that position, all of a sudden they'll either fart or burp and yeah. now they feel a little better. You can actually see the, the release of tension just sort of like, Oh, oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. I really needed that. Um, and, so, and, and yeah. babies that are really struggling and we could probably talk about this too, which is, um, something that we refer to as silent reflux. So, so babies that will maybe talk, we'll talk about spit up now. <laughs> um, spitting up is, is a natural process, right? That, that esophageal sphincter yeah. when they're small is very loose and it's, and it's, it's loose for, so that it's not painful as, as milk, you know, if we get overfed, we can just get, get rid of the rest of it up there. And, and that's, and that's very natural. But what ends up happening sometimes with babies who are colicky, gassy, is that they start to get a lot of back pressure. So they'll, they'll partially digest and then all of a sudden push that, that, you know, that, you know undigested milk kind of or partially digested milk back up into the system, which is kind of like, you know, probably gives them a feeling similar heartburn. to heartburn, right? Yeah. So, so, so then that, so then that starts to become irritating. And I, and I think it isn't one of the major signs of that. Usually a lot of arching kind of, you know, behavior. I also, I, I, I've also noticed that babies who have that also tend to get a lot of mucus. They, they get very mucusy and very congested. And my guess is I, I, I've tried to read and find out information on this. I haven't gotten anything solid, but my instinct, just knowing the way the body's processes work is that it probably is developing to push back down stuff into the esophagus or to coat the throat or something in some way. Right. Is, is there any, do you, is um, it, is I honestly you know? don't, no, I, I'm not not um, I'm not able to to decipher that either. But in terms of when we see it in the office, and yeah, you, you can just kind of see their face respond to wait. I kind of have something. No, I don't have something, and they start to taste it. Yeah, you can see their face <laughs> you know? for sure. And then, and then all of a sudden, there's that arching. It's like you can see the step process happening. Yeah. Um. You know, and and oftentimes it is. The way that we, what we do see is that it does seem to be correlated oftentimes with a tongue restriction because the mm. tongue just wasn't moving the milk very easily um, down the digestive um, system. Yeah, right, so that right. full motion of the tongue that happens just when it's short because there's some restriction, it's, it isn't really doing the job it needs to do fully of pushing the food down. Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's, yeah. we do see that correlation happening. Um, with a tongue restriction. So if there is um, colic due to that, that, that extent where it's like silent reflux, we definitely want to investigate how is this tongue function at this time? How is it moving milk down? Um, yeah, just to be sure that that's not the reason for it because right. many times there is a correlation there. Um, and so if we can improve the suck, then hopefully that will 
also reduce that kind of instinct of. And many times, you know, we start with body work because there is something going on in the body that's kinked and needs a little bit of either readjustment or just relaxation um, to help it with digestion. And, and some kind of response that might be just, you know, you know, part of part of like the the endocrine system function is, is driven by that autonomic nervous system. Right. So, you know, sometimes, you know, something that's that's that is kind of causing the, the baby to be in this fight or flight might be an internal thing. Right. It, it's it's it can be some external force where like the difficult birth or it could be something that's going on within the body that also, you know, eventually it's, it's it kind of creates this almost, you know, anxiety type response where then the, then the nervous system starts to overshoot the mark on, you know, all sorts of things. And, and so I, and, and I think we see that sometimes with babies who continue to, to spit up after every feed and are just not putting on enough weight, which is very concerning, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you deal with this quite a bit and, and yeah. I've, and I've just tried to make it known that I, from what I've seen, a, a, a body work session, a craniosacral session, sometimes will settle the system enough that it just it, the 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 body just gets back on track. It's like, oh, everything's exactly. everything's okay. I can now focus. I can now, you know, direct my energy back towards digestion rather than, right. you know, that fight or flight. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's what we see as well. It's like it's not um, something in mom's diet which oftentimes well that's that, that's that's what I was going to get to next yeah that that I've seen so much so much of that going on and the mothers come to me and and they're they're in this place where they're like I can't eat this now I can't eat this now I'm off of coffee and you know they're they're yeah, under underslept yeah. and they're suggesting you know the the baby's antac and you know they, and and they're and they're not really seeming to get anywhere with things where I'm like you know Maybe maybe trying a, a bodywork session first is a is a quick right. you know a, a quick way to kind of resolve things too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, resetting it, resetting it to a better place for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, oftentimes if if there is an allergy um, present, it's not just that one symptom that would be in place. Um, oh. You know, we do see a pretty nasty diaper rash often coming up <laughs> okay. when there is a food allergy um, or rashes That's in the cheeks know, or yeah. rashes on the body. Like there's some other symptoms happening besides the arching back um, that's occurring. Um, And yeah, weight gain can also be a concern when there is a food allergy because they aren't, you know, taking in the calories that they need. Um, But not, not always, not always. Yeah. It's one of those things that, yeah, you can't, it's not just one symptom. There has to be quite a few symptoms happening. (laughs) And, and we, and we aren't seeing, you know, great results with um, medication used unless there is, a severity, um, an endoscopy would, would I probably show how bad this kind of reflux is and whether it really does need medication again, kind of just as a reset, right? To like, let's start somewhere so the baby actually accepts more mm-hmm. calories and see if we can return this. But I actually haven't worked on a case where it was needed because we just work on body work. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's my so, feeling. I mean, an endoscopy just seems so invasive when, you could do something yeah. non-invasive to, to solve the exactly. problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't speak to, to the, to the results of using it because I actually have done a case <laughs> that needed it. Um, or I just, yeah, I, I think more outside the box to see if there's other ways that we can help that family. 
So I have one more thing for you. I'm just I'm curious if if what what this might be a little bit controversial question. Um, what's the um, the appropriate length of time for continuing to nurse a baby, like on the, on the short side, how long would you like to see someone nurse? I mean, this is, this is, you know, in an ideal world and, and, and how long, you know, is, is appropriate to continue nursing a, a toddler say. You, you use the word appropriate <laughs> and that is not a word that uh, I would use ever <laughs> with regards to breastfeeding duration. Because it's it's just it it goes both ways. It's yeah. you know it's it's a family decision, um, and there's always benefits um, to it. And oftentimes, a toddler is nursing all of once or twice a day, right? Um, yeah, because it's just part of um, how that child is, you know, feeling they need some comfort from mom, um, and part of it is comfort, you know, when they're nursing. Um, later in life where the majority of their nutrition is coming from, you know, table food. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so the nursing that's happening isn't necessarily for nutrition, but more for emotional yeah. um, so support. So um, in terms of an age, yeah, I mean, here in the United States, I think the, the if um, someone goes past the two years um, of nursing, it's less in percentile of people who are doing that. Um, and most people that I'm working with, their goal is anywhere between six months and a year. Um, but in terms of uh, the CDC and, you know, the WHO um, World, uh, World, World what Health, is it, Health, Health Organization, Organization. Um, you know, it's, it tends to be a year. We see mm -hmm. benefits to reach a year um, and then pass that. Benefits are always there because, like I said, there's always that immune system that's always taking in a little bit more from you. And actually, even at a year old, they're still, like, taking good amounts of, of milk from you, um, sometimes as much as 18 ounces a day. Um, so even though they're already starting to do various meals with solids and stuff like that, um, yeah, the benefits are always there. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how little um, it's happening even later in life um i i see benefits throughout i yeah. personally with both of my boys my my i don't think i had a goal actually it just was going month by month most of the which time is anyway. i think i think kind of the way it should go in some ways too <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's you know you you there's always reasons for a goal though you know there's uh, people's work situation sometimes it's, determines it's huge that goal. yeah um, so, so yeah, for it could be as little as two weeks, and I still think it's a wonderful thing to provide and celebrate um, um, because the benefits were there for those two weeks. This is all a, one of those systems, I say, that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It could be anything, yeah. and it's always a benefit. <laughs> well, that's part, part of the reason I ask, and I, I don't know what maybe appropriate is not the right word, but, but I, but I, but I'm, I, you know, I see a spectrum and I, and I always, I always think that it's, it's sort of, you have to take it family to family. And like, yes. like you've said, like I've seen people who are, who are still nursing a toddler when they, when they, you know, they bring a baby to me and, and I see the benefit of, of that relationship because, you know, a, a two-year-old, you know, having to deal with a new a, a new sibling is actually very challenging. I mean, it's when I don't know how what's what's the difference in age with your boys. 
three two years? years and three months. Yeah, I mean, so so you you were there. So so yeah. it, it's you know it's that's that's one of those things that I think can actually help to bridge that relationship. They kind of both get to have that relationship with mom still at that point. And like you said, it might be once a day. It might be every other day. It's just it's just the it's just having that as an option. I think at that age might actually be a great bridge. And then on the other side, I mean, I I'm, I'm dealing with. You know, I, I, you know, I feel like part of my job sometimes is to help mother, ha you know, especially in a place like New York where, you know, there's a lot of professional women and they're going to have to, because of the demands of their, their work, they're going to have to get back to work. And so they have this very small window that they want to have this experience in. And I feel like my my role sometimes is to is, is to get them on track as quickly as possible to have that experience, and that yeah. you know they 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 don't know exactly how long that's going to be, and they also you know sometimes they might feel the pressures of I really want to keep pumping until a certain point, but you know the that the reality of you know finding space in your in your workplace to pump and keep keep your milk supply up is. You know, it's not it's not only stressful for, you know, trying to keep up being a productive <laughs> worker in the yeah. office place. But even in the in the ideal setting, right, everything is in place. Right. There's a room, there's a, a wonderful pump already there for you. There's a refrigerator of where to store it. Like all of the things can be in place. But work can, you know, be very unpredictable. Yeah, right. <laughs> a meeting could all of a sudden just be snuck up on you, yeah. you know, and, and now you're trying to accommodate everything, including milk removal. And yeah, sometimes it, it's milk removal is the, starts to go lower and lower on the yeah. priority list yeah. just because of, you know, certain jobs are really um uh, costly right. <laughs> contracts are needing, you know, deadlines. Um, and if I'm not meeting them, yeah, it's sort of, it's a stressor. Um, so all of a sudden it's more about the stress of the job. And now I have to sit down and, and yeah, you start to maybe have a little bit of resentfulness either towards the job or towards something, you know, or one towards, way our or culture. <laughs> towards our culture. Yeah. yeah. Why can't I have a year off? Like, they do in other countries. Right, right. And, <laughs> back and, and, I, and I think it's, it, it's trying to figure out that balancing act that I try to guide because sometimes I end up treating the mothers after, you know, I treat the babies too. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of part of their, you know, care team then in terms of just getting them feeling good enough to, you know, especially since, you know, as we know, sitting and feeding and pumping and all these things is actually quite hard on, on our bodies and looking down in that position all the time and, you know, the strain on the neck and shoulders. So I, I do some work with, with that. So, you know, I, I'm there to listen more than anything else, but I, so I hear a lot of, a lot of stories and I think part of it is just, you know, helping them make their own decision about how long they feel like they want to keep doing this for and what that, you know, stress is versus spending the time with the baby in, in whatever way feels, you know, the best to you. You know, the, it, it may be a point at which, you know, spending so much time pumping and, 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 you know, trying to keep that going, instead of having just the relationship with the baby feels like it's it's more advantageous to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it a goal might change all of a sudden when you're back exactly. at the end. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and that's you know, that's certainly okay. Um it can throw people kind of off though, so, you know, it's like quite the curveball because they didn't anticipate feeling that way right um and then finding space for them to just feel that way and having someone to talk to about that um is also really important um so yeah sometimes that's the place to go and you know 
that may mean all of a sudden you're talking to me about weaning when you weren't really going to be doing that yet. Um, and so just having that conversation sort of like whenever you're ready, you'll know, (laughs) you know, because your, your mind is telling you, your heart is telling you, or, you know, just circumstances are telling you. And, and that's your journey. That's no one else's journey, no one else's business. And, um, we just tackle it whenever that happens. Um, but so, yeah, I have those conversations as well. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, of culturally, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but being a Latina from Puerto Rico originally, gr- you grew up in New York, but I, I imagine you have a lot of connections in New York to, to the community. Is there, is there anything that, that feels culturally different when you're working with, with, uh, you know, Spanish speaking population or Puerto Rican population in, in New York? It's very dependent on, on where you grew up. Yeah, if, like yeah. I myself grew up here, as you um, just mentioned, and um, although, you know, the majority, my, all of my mother's siblings, um, sisters, uh, breastfed all their babies, she actually didn't get that opportunity when she moved here to the oh, United right? States. Yeah, she didn't. So she was very excited when I said I would be nursing my children because she didn't get to do that. So I kind of um, carried that for her. Um, So growing up, I saw much more um, bottle feeding. I did have some cousins who did nursing. And interestingly, Mm -hmm. those were the cousins whose moms actually (laughs) nursed as well, right? So Mm -hmm. they had seen it. And so therefore, they were comfortable with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, culturally, that's why I say it all depends if you grew up here and if you were born and raised here and you weren't really surrounded by much of that, you, you know, follow the culture that yeah. is here, which is most of the time. And, and, and growing up in America, our, our culture, our, our age group, I, I think the, the formula feeding got, got really pushed out there. And it whereas, really you know, like I, I work with quite a few people from, you know, different parts of South America, Peru, Central America. And I feel like if they grew up there and they were exposed to this, they're, they have no doubt in their mind that they're, that they're going to breastfeed. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, in terms of the clocks, that's not even part of their system. They know that, yeah, this is, this is a system where for the first, you know, month it's a high demand, (laughs) but the reward later on is there. (laughs) If I just follow the cues that are given to me by my baby. Um, So yeah, definitely um, it's, it's cultural. For sure, um, where, you know, I, I even share with, with moms that, you know, I have a friend in Canada who has shared that, you know, you don't get pumps the way you do here in the United States because you are off for a year. Um, so most of the time, if you're breastfeeding, you are working things out and you have that time, possibly because of the less stress yeah, part of it is the reason for being able to work things out. So they don't need the technology. Um, They don't need pumps, you know, so it's like kind of unheard of that, you know, you would expect to have a pump even Mm. in the first week. No, that's like not necessarily the case. Um, So, yeah, it's it is a very different culture here where it's a lot of, um, yeah, pumping, (laughs) a lot of pumping if you wind up doing some breastfeeding um, and. um, Yeah. And those that don't, then there's a lot of bottle feeding, you know, and. And I know that there's a lot of uh, emotional sides of that as well, whether right. whether they decide to or not. And I am not here to give any, um, you know, any judgment or even advice that this is how it must be done. 
Um, but if you do breastfeed, uh, you know, there is a lot of information to be had um, so that you can have a more successful experience with breastfeeding going in as opposed to not being, you know, better informed. Right. Which is, which is, you know, the, where we serve. And I, and I, and even having worked in, in now two kind of major cities in the U.S., very different culturally in terms of you know, the, the, the space and time that people feel like, I mean, part of it is the expense of living in New York that makes people feel like I have to get back to work. Whereas here yeah. I feel like, you know, uh, families can sometimes, you know, get by a little longer on one income for that year and they'll, and they'll, they'll make the sacrifice. So, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, we're here to, to kind of guide whatever, you know, as, as much of, of that goal or the, or the desire is for the, for the parent through that process, but ultimately, it's it's really about, you know, trying to give them the experience and also make. I, I always think I, one of the things I've I've come to realize is that when I'm doing work with families, I try to get as many of the care providers in my room as possible for those first that first visit. And sometimes it's only one visit that I have to see them for. So, but what what that really helps, I think, is for the you know thinking about what the ecosystem is here of everybody who's going to be involved in this process and that. You know, breastfeeding is not just about mom and baby. That dads can sort of understand what that what that relationship is, and then where they're going to pick up at some point. You know, in terms of yeah, feeding. Yeah. So, and and I just no, I, I love I, it. I love it when dads are in the in the consultation room because they're taking in. I'm, I'm talking to both of them. I'm never just looking at the person breastfeeding. I'm also looking at the dad. I'm like, do you hear what I'm saying here? Yep, yep. <laughs> this is how, this is how I'm helping her. And this is how you can help her. Exactly. <laughs> yep. um, and they are, they're like picking it up and you know, it's another set of eyes, another set of ears. Um, so yeah, it definitely is always a teamwork situation, yeah. um, whether it's the family unit as a teamwork or fam or teamwork in the sense of other providers working together to help this family unit. Yeah, yeah it's definitely a teamwork, um, collaborative environment that works best for everybody. Exactly. Well, Denise, yeah. thank you so much. I just, I've taken enough of your time up, but thank you for for going through all this. This is like amazing resource for for people and and new families, and I, I feel like. It's it's what we know that 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 you know we've from our experience and I and I feel like sometimes people just you know they they don't they don't understand what their what their resource is and it really does take a village and I like to be part of that village as much as possible but I you know when when it's appropriate and I feel like we kind of just our our working relationship has been great it's it's been easy in terms of like you know when to tap me i know when someone needs to see you and that makes it a lot easier for yeah, us too yeah. so and, and hopefully this kind of dialogue will help people understand you know even as health providers how to how to how to have a little support system around themselves too no i think it's yeah it's definitely a great thing thank you so much for having me yeah. <laughs> and talking and I, about this <laughs> and, I, and i'll see you next week in oh New yeah York. that's right i'll see you next week <laughs> all, all right, right. Bye. thanks thanks denise Denise McDonald, folks. Lactation consultants, in my opinion, are doing God's work, and they don't always get the credit they deserve for all the thought, time, and care that goes into their efforts. And this goes for a lot of people in the baby and maternal care world. We often use the phrase, it takes a village, and my guess is the saying has been in, in some way, shape, or form in existence as long as humans have been around, 
And that's because the business of giving birth to and raising a child is as difficult as it is rewarding. My aim for this season has been to showcase the village of support, both as recognition and to increase awareness for anyone seeking support from these kind and warm-hearted caregivers who exist in your communities and you should know more about them. This is the first time doing an entire series on the show, so I'd love to hear what you thought of it. You can reach me anytime by email at jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.